This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 13, First Round Strategies, Clan of Sar. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. Welcome to our third strategy guide for first round uh, ideas for different races. Uh, we've already hit up the Exchaw Kingdom, we've hit up the Asaral Tribes, and this week we're hitting up Sar. Clan of Sar. I think this is a fun, different approach to all the guys we've been doing so far. Um, this is probably one of the most unique races in all of Twilight Imperium. Definitely the goofiest. I Definitely remember when goofiest. I heard about them before we got to play them, I was more excited. Yeah about them than any other race and i gotta tell you in ti3 anyways that excitement wore off quickly yes. <laughs> there's a big old big disappointment actually even into the first game like you're playing them and you still think it's gonna work and then the first time you ever try to like build something on the move you're like wait i'm not allowed to what a I, don't, I can't do anything. I can never. I can't do what the whole point of this race is. And in TI4, they said, "Oh, sorry about that, guys. Sorry, we put our rules in the way of the entire point of this race." And they decided we can build while you move. They did say sorry. I'm pretty sure too. Oh, yeah. They they had a press release where they <laughs> said sorry about the clan of Sar. We we messed up. <laughs> we really. They said that. They they did say that. Christian Christian came Peterson. out. And he came out of the White House lawn, and he on the said, White House lawn where he lives because he's the president of Twilight <laughs> Imperium. Uh, so let's talk about the Clan of Sar. Uh, we want to give a quick overview. First off, Hunter, what are these? What are these dudes all about? Well, they're not all dudes. Some of them are ladies, and um, they are moles, as far as I can tell, or at least very ugly. And they got a big old art change in TI four. They actually did. They used to actually look like really like like they had like teeth like yeah. moles, like they actually burrowed in the dirt, and now they just kind of look like a weird bear. <laughs> He's like a cute little bear. Like a bear who's looking at you being like, I don't know why I'm here <laughs> and why my cheeks are like this. And I got this long gun. Yeah, they actually, that is actually a good note. Uh, they look quite different in this edition than they did before. They look a lot more caveman-y. Um, is caveman-y. that a good note? You said that's a good note. I don't know if that's a good note. It's a good note. <laughs> Matt, Matt did a good job. And please, everyone, tweet us and let Matt know how good of a job he did. He did, he did a good job. Uh, they like rocks. So they're the they're the nomads of the TI universe, and the biggest thing is their abilities are. We're gonna start with the second one, nomadic. You can score objectives even if you do not control the planets in your home system. Yeah, so you can mess up. So right out of the gate, here's your first note. This is what's really get letting you know where we're going with this race is that you can mess up and do bad, do a bad thing losing your home system but you can still win yes you can be even totally though you, fine. You, you did a bad thing right uh the other ability is scavenge after you gain control of a planet gain one trade good and this plays into the kind of nomadic nature of these guys the point of this race is to get out there get on the map and forget about what you're leaving behind 
vis-a-vis your home system and just keep acquiring new planets so you keep getting more money and you keep just moving everywhere yeah keep moving forward what is what's some fun factoids from the race sheet let's do that hunter really gets into these lower sections okay so the population is 1.01 billion well they are that they are actually the smallest population uh in all of the game they're they're the oldest race in the twilight imperium universe but more importantly their disposition is melancholy Uh, Oh, they're so sad. So they're a bunch of sad boy weird bears, and their tendencies are objective. What? That's a cute little joke, isn't it? They have they have an objective mindset. They're not subjective, but we also mean they go for victory points. We go for victory points, and that is always your priority with the clan of Sar is victory points. Let's finish some overview stuff. Their flagship is the Son of Rog. It's got really good anti-fighter barrage. Anti-fighter barrage of four dice rolling on a six. And then the combat value is also two on a five. So it's two dreadnoughts with, like, two destroyers attached to it. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a monster. And that's because the idea of these guys is, is like, your fleet should really be everything. I mean, you should have a monstrous, really yeah. terrifying fleet. Because you're not doing much else but moving that fleet around. Yeah. And it's a big, big, big old fleet. Let's pull up that racial tech. Let's get that out there. I know the first one, we the, the easiest one to throw out there is the Floating Factory 2, which upgrades their space docks. Oh, by the way, their space docks can move. Oh, yeah, Did their we space docks can move. They're That's not important. attached to planets. So the fact of that you can leave your home system, your space docks can go with you, and they're just these floating factories. Funny little factoid, there are still things that are confusing in Twilight Imperium <laughs> 4 that refer to space docks where you'll be like, wait, my space dock isn't on a planet. What does that mean? Yeah. yeah. So their base floating factories are placed in the space area instead of on a planet. And it can move and retreat as if it were a ship. If it's blockaded, it's destroyed because it's not on a planet. The basic ability of a production of a floating factory is that it has production five, which means it can produce five units. It has a movement of one and it has a capacity of four. You can upgrade this unit to have a production value of 7, a movement of 2, and a capacity of 5. More than anything, I would say that production 7 and that move 2 are the are those the big are, benefits. Those are the key You're factors. going to want to increase that production value because as opposed to everyone else's space docks that are improved by the planets you decide to place them on, this one you just need to straight up improve. And getting them to move two is going to help you a lot with your late game missions. For real. Also, chaos mapping is our other racial tech. Um, it uh, makes it so that other players cannot activate asteroid fields that contain one or more of your ships. And at the start of your turn, during the action phase, you may produce one unit in a system that contains at least one of your units that has production. Both those, both yeah. of those are. Great. It's one of those funny ones where it's like neither was good enough to be a tech by itself so they're just like yeah throw them together and it's a cheap one it's a a one blue requirement which you start with speaking of start with you start with anti-mass deflectors and you start with two carriers four infantry done who cares what else they start with Uh that is all that matters you get another cruiser you get two fighters of course you have your space dock but two carriers four infantry completely checks off the number one thing on our starting units list that's two checklists right there we only ask for two carriers and four infantry please (laughs) please and their home system are these two uh silly little rocks 
Um, one is called Ragaha, which uh, is referenced many times in their lore, Ragaha. Um, it has a resource of two and an influence value of one. And then Lysis 2. What happened to Lysis 1? Am I right? Um, is their other planet and has a resource value of one with no influence. Um, I would say their home planet is obviously not very important mm, because yeah. they're the only race that can lose their home system and who cares yeah, they start you with a really terrible home system because they really want to incentivize you to just abandon it so mm-hmm. starting with three one is pretty bad mm-hmm. and i just wouldn't even waste time with trying to stay there we already talked about it too much okay let's jump into what are we doing round one and before Early round game. one even starts yeah. oh yeah sorry Whoops. what we already messed up kind of map are you hoping to either make or end up in, depending on how you choose to kind of do your map generation, what kind of position do you want to be starting looking at, Hunter? Mm-hmm. Well, you definitely, uh, like we have mentioned many times, uh, and it just so happens that the races that we've covered all kind of have this common thread, but um, you don't really need to prioritize high resource value planets mm-hmm. so much as you should prioritize lots of planets in general yes and this is going to be a theme that we touch on with a lot of different races but it is worth bringing up once again for sar because you're looking for basically a path of lots of planets to carve through and grab those trade goods that we mentioned from the uh scavenge racial ability more than anything it's not that you just want a bunch of cheap planets it is that clear path factor that is the most important you should have no gaps in between where planets are there should just be some sort of path pointing in some direction so that you can very easily every single turn be taking a new system that gets you some new planets any empty space is not your friend for your ultimate journey Mm -hmm. Uh, the one other thing is Make sure you know where the asteroid fields and have them in good positions either in your pie slice. But again, you aren't really working with a normal pie slice. Right. So more than anything, you want asteroid fields in convenient positions. Maybe an asteroid field near Mechatol Rex. That's always going to be useful for yeah. you. Uh, asteroid fields that are adjacent to home systems can be very beneficial to you. Uh, things like that. So just be very aware of where the asteroid fields right. are. Right. It's more just about keeping, like, making a special note of where the asteroid field is. Uh, I would say we had a game recently with Matt where mm-hmm. he was Clan of Sar, and the asteroid field was not in a good spot considering to where yeah. he started, but it he eventually yeah. used it in a way that was. I mean, probably one of the, if not the most bonkers play I've ever seen in Twilight Imperium. The big idea, though, is you should be getting your chaos mapping tech. We'll talk more about this later. But that chaos mapping is going to allow you to use those asteroid fields to some pretty devastating effects. And so you want to be aware of where they are. And to a certain extent, maybe base your endgame strategy around where those asteroid fields are. So if you are the kind of person who wants to think about where your end game is going to be before you've even built the map, then that's a consideration you can have mm-hmm. with where asteroid fields need to go. Moving on. So you've started the game. It's round one. It's your turn to pick a strategy card. Yeah. Matt, what strategy card do you want to pick above all others? As with most races, warfare. Mm-hmm. Um, any race that has that two-carrier for infantry start you need to take advantage of how much you're able to expand and warfare is going to help you to a pretty devastating degree i know in our game where i played as sar i got warfare and i got two victory points round one i got three more the next round because of how good of a setup i had i had five victory points by the end of round two Mm -hmm. if you take warfare and you're able to move around a bunch on the map like you should be with this race you can do a lot of really really crazy things 
It has, uh, and the other thing I will point out is that unlike most races, you are not going to benefit very much from the secondary of warfare. Right. So you might as well take it yourself. The problem with this is that um, because your because your space stocks move around the board, you can't really build off off of uh, the secondary yeah. unless you leave your space stock in your home system. Yeah. It does specify one space stock in your home system. Um, this is something I mess up a lot too. Yeah. This is something that constantly hit me. So I really kind of want to make a special note of it. Do not mess that up. You cannot build off of the secondary of warfare unless you leave that space stock in your home system, which I don't necessarily recommend unless you know that that's going to be like required of your strategy, in which case you need to get your second space stock on the board very quickly. But in most situations, I'm going to tell you to get that space stock out of your home system, which means you need warfare so that you're using an ability. Yeah, for sure. Oh, and the, the other thing I wanted to point out about warfare versus uh, some of the... We, we recommend warfare a lot first round, and we will continue to do that. Yeah. Uh, but I will say, in SAR's case, it does seem to be especially important because when you're doing that kind of double activation that warfare allows you to do, yeah. you're also getting... You're scavenging more trade goods yep. that you can immediately spend. spend to build more units yeah so we're talking potentially about to taking uh an extra hex of planets and another build and specifically with sar it gives you the opportunity to kind of maneuver things in a weird way like let's say your first turn is to move the entire fleet out take one planet if you can warfare that out the next move can be moving some of that fleet out. There's a lot you can do with when you build, when you move fleets out of kind of what you should start to, from round one, consider your Sarball. Your Sarball is what is the amoeba that surrounds your floating factory. And there's going to always be a couple of fleets that follow it. But you, from the get-go, need to start considering how you behave with that Sarball. And Warfare is going to make it much easier to manage that. Right. What is, what is a good second pick? Let's say you didn't get Warfare, which is pretty likely, right. really. Yeah. But what is the what is the second consideration after Warfare has been taken by someone else? Me, personally, I would always go for Tech. I think there's plenty of arguments for lots of other strategy cards, but I want to get my Floating Factory 2 as fast as possible. I also, in a lot of cases, um, might want to get Gravity Drive, very importantly. If, if, if I don't start with that Hex that has a clear path, if I wasn't able to manage to get you know, a lot of systems, if, if I have a lot of blank space in my side of the galaxy, Gravity Drive just became very, very important, and being able to get it for free with tech is going to help that a lot. But Sarween Tools. Sarween Tools well. is yeah. the other super, super beneficial tech for you. So either of those are good first picks, and if you take tech, you could potentially get both of them and get it out of the way. So I, I think early tech is very important for these guys i don't think like you need to always be thinking of yourself as a race that takes tech but in that first round getting these tech things out of the way is pretty beneficial mm -hmm. and you're going to get a lot of use out of sarween tools because much like the arborec you can use the sarween to basically just get free units every time you're moving yeah. essentially yeah. yeah as long as you the the third point here would be my other big top pick for um Clannisar is construction because it's going to help you a lot to get that second space stock on the board because you need to have a couple of mobile uh, fleets. If anything, that was a big problem I suffered with in my game is mm -hmm. I didn't get my second 
uh, space dock out there too early, and it really was hurting my early game because the kind of dance you have to play with how you move your fleet and build out of that space dock becomes a really tricky one. It's a really, really interesting puzzle, and um, being able to get that second space dock out early makes that puzzle much easier to solve. Mm-hmm. Because of uh, we've we've already brought up the idea of the star ball. But uh, the idea of building up one giant fleet that's protecting this one space dock, obviously, it, I mean, that is essentially the strategy yeah. with the SAR, but it presents this kind of problem. If you don't build another space dock, what happens if your SAR yeah. ball loses? Yeah. If your SAR ball loses, essentially, you've lost the entire game. So getting another space dock out there is important. I don't know if it's first round right. important. That's the trade-off. If warfare was taken and if tech was taken, that's when construction, maybe trade too, would be a top pick. But yeah. but like there's all I'm saying is there's a big argument for construction if a lot of your other top choices have been pulled from you. Mm-hmm. I think there is also the one one thing to kind of help with the construction argument would be throwing a space dock out on its own and then kind of building a fleet out of it by itself is really only going to be possible in the early game. So you might as well throw that other space dock out there and start building your secondary ball. And if you've gotten Sarween, then that that space dock could actually start building a fleet very slowly on its own uh, without really costing you that much money, which hopefully you're getting plenty out of scavenge, especially early game. The only other one of note, and this is something we barely brought up in Yasaro, but it is uh, especially important with Sar. This is incredibly situational, but it's one of the only races where these situations might actually come up. Consider Imperial. Look at the map, see what the objectives are. If both of the starting objectives are doable for you, and you can find a way to do it round one, get Imperial and get that early lead. And this is going to be a common trend with the Clan Asar, which is always get as many victory points as you possibly can. Imperial is going to technically always be a pretty good pick for you if you can make it work in your favor. So if you've got two fairly easy public objectives that you know you're going to be able to achieve, if it's you know gain control of six planets and I don't know what else, spend eight resources and you can get a ton of money, get both of those go for that uh because it's it is it you want to take every opportunity you can to get points right i would say uh that this is kind of inherent in what we're saying right now but like if if you have a race where we've basically recommended like half the strategy cards what we're kind of cluing into there is like this race has like a pretty fun great early game like it's you are really set up to you make a lot of money early mm-hmm. um, that as as we transition to the mid and late game is not the case, really. Right. So it's really hard to mess up with the strategy card pick. Yeah. A lot of them are really, really viable for yeah, SAR. I would say basically don't stress out about it too much. Mm-hmm. Take the best thing available and don't think about like any too specific of crazy plays. I, 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 there, uh, people are going to sh- tell us some like, ooh, if you do this, then this, then this. You know, that's going to be good, but, like, everything is viable with the Mm -hmm. Clan Asar because of what you can leave behind. So, yeah, just take whatever looks the best. Mm Mm-hmm. So what's our our opening move? What do we do do in turn one? What do we do in 
throughout the whole first round what's our goal we're going we're expanding (laughs) we are getting away from our home system preferably in one direction a lot of other races you know you want to just like expand to every single immediate slice right these guys are not building Mm -hmm. a pie slice so you can just like head straight to mecca tall rex if you want to head straight to a neighbor if you want to but be expanding in a direct line away from your home system I would say it's like basically you're you're a car. Yeah. Drive right towards your secret objective and the VP right. in the shortest line. Yes, absolutely. Um, your other opening moves are going to be um, you should get a tech round one. Mm-hmm. Um, within that those first rounds, whether you took tech or not, you need to set yourself up to where when tech – you start with only three resources. So if tech is going to get played – you need to go before them and take one planet so you can get that one trade good so that you can buy some tech. I think buying a first-round tech is pretty important. I will already concede that there are probably some arguments not to because you need to be improving that fleet very quickly, but that's where that delicate balance fits in, and I think getting the tech quickly before anyone else can hurt you is more important and then maybe round two or three start beefing up your fleet. But round one, take the tech while you can get it. Yeah, see, I think that I'm going to get super specific. This is Hunter's super specific corner. Um, I actually haven't played Star yet, so this is just this is just my idea of putting myself in the situation. Um, I would use one of those carriers first turn with two ground forces to go take a system. I would not move my space dock. I would go for Sarween. In, in in most cases, I feel like Sarween is going to be the first tech pick. Yeah. If, unless there's a specific system you're really trying to get to. Um so you've got Sarween. Now, on your second activation, you can move uh, your fleet and build a little something-something yeah. with Sarween. Remember, every time you move, you collect the trade goods from Scavenge, right. and then you get to build at the end of that activation. Right. So make sure you're making the most of that, having a very efficient first round right. um, by getting money and building with it yeah. every time. Anyone... Whoever gives you a strategy that details a way in which you can take Mechatol Rex first round, and this happens mostly to Winu players, but it's definitely going to be told to you as a Clan Asar player, I am going to disagree with them in most situations. Mm-hmm. It might be an okay play if you can get tech, get gravity drive, move. Like, there's a lot of crazy things that can happen, but I'm going to say in most situations, there's just no need to take Mechatol Rex turn one. You will be able to take it round two. It's very, very easy for any race to take Mechatol Rex round two, and most races don't even have the incentive to do it, and you will as a Clannisar. So just don't listen to people who say, ooh, you should try to do this crazy maneuver to mm-hmm. take Mechatol Rex turn one. That is, a, that is a red herring where the alternative is you could probably get more money taking other planets. And I think, I think the concern with that is uh, that Sar if they go straight for Mechatol Rex, can end up being a little bit vulnerable. Absolutely. Because you've moved your one space dock, which essentially you should treat your space dock as your home system. Right. Because if somebody lops off his head, it especially early game, it can be very difficult to replace. Yes. So what kind of units do you need to be kind of maybe focusing on, or are there any with the Clan of Sar? So you have an interesting problem early game in that um, you are limited by your space dock's movement. Yeah. Um, your SAR ball isn't, like, even if you started going heavy cruiser, 
you you can't move to yeah. so you shouldn't um, be abandoning your space dock which means you shouldn't be doing any crazy long far away maneuvers so yeah you are limited to that one single movement per mm-hmm. turn i don't know i would say it's possibly a carrier fighter early kind of thing yeah. like you want to be able to soak hits with that um it's gonna make you look the scariest earliest because there's gonna be more things on the board yeah um, and also, while you can make a lot of money early, if you're building every round, you're probably not going to have a whole lot of money each time you build. Yeah. So at throwing a carrier down and then later throwing down a bunch of fighters seems like a more attractive idea than like saving up and buying a dreadnought that you now have to babysit right. with the one movement. Yeah. We have this question posed to us sort of as like a, for other races, the question makes more sense. Oh, what units do you want to get as the X-Shot? Well, I want to get PDS. What units do you want to get as the Soul? Oh, well, I want to get Carriers. Mm-hmm. I think the general philosophy with the Clan Asar is you should just always be getting units. Yes. You need to, every time that space dock moves, buy at least something. So if that's just like, oh, I just, I'll use Sarween tools to get a destroyer right now. Well, that's fine, depending on what you're planning to spend your money on elsewise. Um, but you should just always be building, always be worrying about getting some sort of unit. Whatever it is you can afford, get it right now. Right. The importance is more on producing something, yes. especially early game, than it is about necessarily what you are producing. Right. You need to outnumber your opponents. Right. Um, so the only other thing, we, we touched on this, but the tech you want to get, first off, is, like we said, Sarween Tools or Gravity Drive, and from there, you can start to consider, um, we, we can start maybe thinking about the mid-game a little bit. So mm-hmm. we've, you know, we, we've been expanding, and we've been slowly building our fleet. Uh, we hopefully got Sorween tools. Maybe we got Gravity Drive. Our next investment is getting that floating factory, too. So you're going to need yeah. a second yellow tech. Or, and a, a thing to be really keeping an eye out for is, since you can go wherever and really throw caution to the wind, look for a yellow planet. If there's one in your realm, because you, you're you not going to benefit from Graviton Laser Systems. Yeah. You're not going to benefit yeah. from PDS. So you should maybe try to skip that other yellow tech if you can help it. Just, you know, keep an eye out on the planets that are there. But get Floating Factory 2, get Chaos Mapping, and from there your tech tree is kind of just whatever you want to do. The reason we say look for a yellow planet um, is to allow you yourself to skip Graviton Laser Systems in order to get factory two yeah it costs two yellow to get factory yeah. two so you really like you i really can't stress how you're probably not going to get a lot of it just runs contrary to your whole right race to invest in pds it's not yeah. that pds are somehow worse with you than they are with anybody else it's just you're not going to be getting anything out of scavenge if it, you're being like i'm whole enough yeah and, it doesn't yeah. fit your strategy at all and more importantly like Anything that can help you rush to Floating Factory 2 is going to help you. So so I would say if you're trying to like, if you've got like a couple options of the pathway you can take round one, I would go for the yellow tech planet kind of over anything else. Maybe even over like a higher value planet. If I can just mm-hmm. skip Graviton Laser Systems and get Floating Factory 2 ASAP, I think it's going to help you a lot more in the long run. Mm-hmm. Well, we feel like solidly in the mid game at this point. So yeah. I want to start talking about commodities and early trading Definitely. they actually have a pretty good they have a i don't know it's a pretty nice situation you find yourself in as a clan SR player you have three commodities yeah. and obviously we are emphasizing a lot of mobility yes. here you're gonna get out there and you can do it in a pretty 
well, hopefully non-aggressive way. You can hopefully get up next to somebody and say that you want to trade with them. I fear that Clannisar is always going to look like a target early game. Mm-hmm. Um, at the very least in the way that I play, I play really fast and loose. So I want to get objectives quickly. And I think Clannisar plays into that strategy in that you're going to get a lot of victory points really quickly and then become everyone's target. So whether or not you're able to find trade partners who are willing to kind of help you in that venture, that might be difficult. Um, but hopefully you can find someone who's looking to make some money off of you. You're a good enough... Your, your three commodities aren't nothing, so you're, you're a good enough training partner that someone should heed the call. But, you know, don't be surprised if everyone's like, actually, we don't want to trade with Klanisar because they're going to become a problem enough as it is. Right. I mean, I, I think in general I would consider this like a pretty moderate to like important race to work trade. I I would maybe think of them as being a round two or round three trade pick, actually. Yeah. Because you're going to want to refresh commodities for players where you're their neighbor and maybe their only neighbor because yeah. they haven't actually gotten to that edge yet. Yeah. And you've been moving around in a straight line as compared to everybody else who's building a pie slice. Right. The... Other weird note of trade is... <laughs> the weirdest note. The, the Clannisar has Rog's Call as their promissory Rog-ha. note. Rog-ha. <laughs> Honor wants it to be Rog-ha. Uh, and we didn't talk about this earlier, but let's talk about it now. After you commit one or more units to land on a planet, remove all of the SAR player's ground forces from that planet and place them on a planet controlled by the SAR player. Then return this card to the SAR player. This is the weirdest promissory note uh i didn't use it at all during our game so honestly i can't even give you maybe a fair assessment of how good it is i just cannot decide if this is one that clanisar should be constantly trying to give out or not the biggest note i can give you is definitely don't give it to someone who is a meanie (laughs) like give this to someone as part of a deal that's like hey whenever you use this just know that it's like let me you know i'm just gonna get out of there like don't worry about it too much I, I don't know. It is the strangest, the it's, strangest one. It's very hard to imagine what is the situation that someone is invading your planet, yeah. and for some reason they're just going to let you yeah. abandon the planet. But then, and then that kind of makes it sound like, oh, maybe you didn't bring enough ground forces. Well, then why aren't they just fighting for the planet? Right. It's very weird, and. In all of that, I would say I don't think you're ever going to fetch a high price for it. No. It's not going to be your highest sought commodity. You're not going to get a lot of trade goods or like some crazy deal out of it. But I don't know. Maybe you can work it in an interesting way. This one is incredibly situational probably. Depends right. on the planet that they're going for and what you manage to take control of. One thing I can see Raga's uh, use being is Sar have this kind of fun incentive to just like go ahead and be the first one to take Mechatol Rex. And then maybe not hold it. Get your Mechatol Rex point and move on. And part of that could be, well, maybe I leave all my ground forces on Mechatol Rex. And whoever I give Rog's call to, they are my chosen benefactor of who gets to take Mechatol Rex after I'm done with it. You give someone that easy chance and you kind of get to control who takes Mechatol Rex next. That's That's my only idea for this being even slightly useful. Yeah. And it's not a great idea, and but I'm it's something. And I'm not sure how choosing who, Mechatol, who right. controls it next is... A Beyond g- just like, well, you can pick the not person in the lead, right? Honestly, I, I'm going to say this. There is enough to think about in Twilight Imperium that I think every once in a while we just got to call an element to be like, do not 
think of just forget that you have it. <laughs> just do it you have enough to think about yeah. in twilight imperium that you know every once in a while you just got to come across the thing and be like i i am not going to find a way to put this into a strategy that makes sense like even the thing you just suggested yeah i crazy. feel like the amount of thought power yeah. you'd have to put oh, into a strat like and to explain that to someone else <laughs> like no you want it because then i'm gonna let you take mechatol rex like i don't know just take it what do you want it's not gonna work but the point is just forget that it. you have it. It's not it's not an important one. You've got other things you could do. Command so, counters. Oh god. Now we're at the this is the Achilles heel yes. of the clan of Sar, as far Here's, as we can tell. When we ref- I, I keep referring to this puzzle that the clan of Sar has, and command counters are the puzzle. Because you need to protect your space dock. Mm-hmm. To protect that, you need a good fleet. And as the game goes on, people are going to have bigger and dirtier ways to deal with your fleet. So you need to always be building that fleet even more. Which means my general idea would be you should be putting at least one into your fleet supply every single turn. You need to max out your fleet supply. Every single round. Sorry, yes, every single round. You want to be putting your command counters into fleet supply, but you also want to be using your command counters to move around the board so that you can take extra planets. And you always want to be moving, and you always want to be building, and you always want to be improving your fleet supply. Do you see where we're going? It's like a lot to take on, and you you need to be really, really intentional with what you're doing with these command counters. You are going to run out of them. You need to take leadership every opportunity that you can. If anything, we didn't say this in our early game thing, but if all of your other great options have been taken, get leadership because you're going to very quickly run into command counter problems and you should always be working on getting more. Mm-hmm. Um, every chance you have to take a planet that's like a zero two, zero three, zero four, take those because you want to be spending them yeah. on command counters. And flip them. Take, flip them I would counters. even say any planet that's a one three, don't worry about using that as resources. You should hopefully have enough resources at your disposal that you can flip that for command counters. You should take every command counter that comes in your path because you need them i have an interesting rules question actually in the middle of this episode can you spend trade goods as influence to buy command counters in the secondary of leadership yeah okay well that's part of note that yep (laughs) note that musketeers (laughs) (laughs) yeah when you if you if you've got a zero two and a trade good Get some commanders. Do it. In You're some cases, spend all three of your trade goods on command counters, depending on how your round is going. I really, really, very firmly believe that, like, if you don't constantly think about your command counter management, it's going to bite you in the butt because it really, really hurt me in my game. And it's what made me almost have nothing left in the end because right. I wasn't worrying about my fleet supply constantly and so i fell behind in the late game and And i mean if you just look at the raw data it just seems like it's going to add up to a command counter problem this is not a race that starts uh with any green tech so that means going for hyper metabolism three green deep it's a tough sell that's a tough sell and we are not recommending that you do that no if you can do it later in the game after you've gotten all your other essential tech sure do that go for hyper metabolism but it's definitely not something you should rush for and by the time you get it, it's probably too late anyways. Right. It probably doesn't matter. Um, so, yeah, just be working to exploit leadership at every possible turn. Mm-hmm. It's such, honestly, it's a big problem. Yeah, like it's a big sh- problem. You should be really and, concerned And this is it. something to kind of point 
to, to bring into our next point, which is uh, we, we want to talk about like maybe what went wrong in your first round. How do you kind of come back from maybe a potentially bad Yeah, what's first like a bad round? start for SAR? You are going to have a lot of situations where you stretched yourself too thin. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's a good thing. I mean, if you stretch yourself really thin, it probably means you have a ton of money yeah. <laughs> because you got a lot right, of planets right, really right. quickly. But it does mean you have a lot of very glaring weaknesses in your area that you're hanging out in so you need to be prepared to be looking at who can follow up your path if someone like arborak is your neighbor and you're just like leaving your pie slice open for them you should be really aware of that and and kind of cognizant of what that could bring to you later that, that could be a big problem you have yeah, to deal with i don't with. even know what to say if you find yourself in that situation yeah. like that's yeah that's really tough because it's weird the thing about star that in general uh, I'm noticing from from talking about it and thinking about them all these years is that I feel like they're incentivized to do a lot of things that are risky. Like yes. this, this is like a risky way to this, play Twilight. Absolutely, Fury. which is why I love them because <laughs> yeah. I love playing risky. I love playing so victory point focused that you throw everything else to the wind. You throw all caution to the wind to just get victory points, and that's what these guys focus on. But that problem is. Well, okay, then you're going to be left in some pretty dicey spots mm-hmm. and you need to be prepared to back yourself up. So it sounds like basically there's a lot of holes on this ship and yes. what we need to be plugging with them are all of those trade goods you're getting from yes. scavenge. Yeah. And that when you're not scavenging, you should be looking that basically looking at that and being like, well, this was a bad round yeah. because I didn't scavenge. Yeah. I think I said this earlier, but I think you're going to have a hard time finding trade partners that will help bail you out. Because you're going to take early leads. Very often, you're going to take early leads, and people are going to just be like, why would I trade with you? You have, you're have two points ahead of everybody else. Mm-hmm. And no way. And so, yeah, you need to keep scavenging, because that's the only way you're going to keep your economic lead, is by continuing to get a lot of trade goods from taking lots of planets every round. Maybe this is, maybe this is again, something that you can kind of work, though. Maybe right. you can pay, like, get threaten people, get people mm-hmm. to pay you not to attack them. Hey, um, I got to scavenge this round, uh, yeah. and I'm either going to attack your system or his who will uh, what's the highest bidder yep. like let's, yeah. and you know my big star ball is bigger than both of your right. fleets there so yeah. you can walk through potent if you do it right if you put all of your command counters and fleet supply the way you should and you're kind of constantly producing you are a threat to be reckoned with and yeah you should sell that especially early to mid yes. i think the problem is that eventually this does wear off yeah. when we start talking about late other people are going to get big scary fleets lizix are going to get these ridiculous dreadnoughts barony going to get these like unstoppable sustained damage fleets and you are not going to be able to deal with them anymore right you don't have the you don't have the special unit edge that they have right that even like like nalu like yeah. lots of races kind of have a special unit edge and your advantage is more in numbers but then eventually we're going to get to a point yeah. where that starts to run out so um let's talk about counters we're talking yeah. about all these other races who really can do some damage to the clan of Sar. Well, the X-Tra just on paper, oh, yeah. especially talking early mid game, yep. X-Tra is on paper a counter to this. They are literally, if you listen to our episode about <laughs> them, you're going to notice that we're saying basically the opposite of yes, everything. Yeah. We're saying like, oh, well, they set up a very solid pie slice right. that's hard to penetrate. Well, Sar basically make their whole strategy on penetrating pie slices, so this isn't like... This is not your people. <laughs> no, these are not your people. Yeah. Another tough one is, um, in most cases, probably the Federation of Soul. Right. They're going to have really well-defended pie slices. Honestly, there's not... Yin actually could be as well. Any race yeah. that kind of has like a ground force, we always 
forget about Yen because we don't <laughs> like them on a basic level. But any basically with Soul, it's not like a hard counter so much yeah. that any race that has like um, an edge towards ground forces, that's going to be a problem for you because yeah. you you don't really have a good. You're not leaning towards ground forces yet. You have a need to invade lots of planets. Right. Yeah. The other scary thing about Yen, it's a fun point to bring up. We talk about how their their you know sacrificing ability is like maybe not that great, but up against a clan of Sarball, where like that one ball might be the only thing you have, there might be some incentive for Yin to just like throw an entire fleet at it because that means the Sar is not in the game anymore. Right. So you should be definitely aware of Yin players on the board and what they might be able to do to you if the Yin throws their flagship. At your Sarball, you're done. <laughs> you're that's it. That's the end of your stuff. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't say they're gonna always be a hard counter, but there are gonna be situations where like you need to be super worried about what the Yin can do to you. I would definitely keep an eye on them if you were in a game yes. with them. Another uh, counter, and I think this is a pretty hard counter, um, is the Arborek because of their ability to just like endlessly produce ground forces on yeah. planets and how. Traditionally, I feel like an Arborek player has a lot of ground forces on their planets, and they have lots of opportunities to move them around. This is kind of a nightmare for you. Yeah. You need to be spending your money on building a giant Sarball fleet, not spending money on lots of ground forces right. to invade these hard-to-invade Arborek planets. And we, as we mentioned before, if an Arborek pl- uh, player is your neighbor... Arborek kind of expands pretty slowly, but once they get it going, they can start growing faster and faster. And if you've left an entire pie slice empty next to them, that means we might be dealing with an Arborek player with a double-sized pie slice, which is a problem for everybody. Yeah, and that's the thing that you need to be milking a lot. Like, if if you're a Clan of Star player and you know you're going to be abandoning your pie slice and you're adjacent to Arborek, you need to very early on start telling the rest of the board, like, we should all be worrying about dealing like you know okay yes i'll maybe maybe i'll stay back a little bit but like i'm gonna need help mm-hmm. hurting these guys so you're yeah you're gonna have to find some interesting conversations to have about arborek players one other one i want to point out the embers of muat i think you're gonna run into problems with um now obviously you're gonna be able to maybe dodge around their fleets a little bit but those war suns just walking around uh, early game are not going to be your friends. It's and, hard uh, to bully them early yeah. because of that war sun advantage is pretty huge until about yeah, mid game. Yeah, so so don't don't go looking to pick a fight with the muat because if they decided to turn their attention towards you, they can do some pretty pretty devastating uh, damage. Uh, let's talk about who the clanistar counters. Uh, the first thing I want to bring up, only because we're coming off the back of this point, I will say the arborek first round maybe even a little bit into the second round that's a pie slice you can very quickly take right. advantage of and that's going to be your only opportunity to so if you are a neighbor with an arborek cut into their pie slice immediately and then maybe that's the last time you ever even think about going right. near them yeah like we said arborek expand slow yeah so you might as well go into their pie slice and scoop up all those yep. planets get all those scavenge points because they're gonna take them and once they take them you're not getting them back easily right. Anyone who expands slow is someone you can take advantage of. These I hesitate to all call hard counters, but it's definitely what you want to be looking for on the map. That's why the Muat is such an interesting kind of discussion, because the Muat do expand slow, so you might be able to pick off some of their, like, most extraneous planets. The stuff, like, right on the edge, maybe you can pick through those, but don't dig too deep into what they're doing. Um, But for more kind of steady counters, uh, the Winu. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a big one, honestly. That's a big check mark against the Winu is the fact that 
The Winu's problem is they want to dedicate a lot to Mechatol Rex, but they also need to leave some behind at their home system. And if you start close to them, whichever one they left not defended enough, that's the one you get to target and really just t- completely take advantage of. Yeah, I mean, what, so they, they've taken uh, they've taken Mechatol, right? They went for it early. Uh, to me, that screams somebody who didn't set up their pie slice yep. slowly, which is somebody who you can come up behind, yep. possibly even take their home system from them, right. like, you know, I did one time. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other one that I think is a big one to mention is the Jolnar. Jolnar, you're going to have an early game advantage of. Uh, they're going to... I won't say Jolnar expands slowly, but I will say they get off to a bit of a slow start. And similar to the Arborek, most of your advantages against the Jolnar are going to come early. So if you're going to carve through their pie slice, do it round one or two. Right. um, Because that's going to be the most advantageous time to do it. And for the sake of the board, that's going to be the best time to put some crutches on Jolnar. Because the last thing you want is a Jolnar who doesn't get touched. Yeah. Because they're going to really snowball, so you might as well carve through their pie slice while you can. I think Sar is incentivized to bully the Jolnar yeah. more so than most races are. Definitely. Because they're going to make a lot of money doing it. And uh, again, I mean, this, this is a counter for now. But like once the Jolnar really gets set up, it's not really much of a counter anymore. Yeah. Um, really, so do it while you can. Really, it comes down to I very genuinely think of Clanasar as an early game race. If you're not winning by round five, you actually might be in trouble, uh, and you will probably in most games feel that. If you didn't win on round five, it's probably because you pushed for a win and then something happened, and now you're in like a devastated situation. I just don't see too many situations where Clanasar takes a late game win, unless you like go against everything we're saying and you just like focus on making these three devastating sarballs and then you just crush the late game maybe that's a strategy but it's not something we've ever tried and it's not something i really intend to try anytime soon because i'm just too big of a fan of rushing for victory points so in my mind you either win early or you run into many many problems so um yeah any i mean if you're in the late game at all every race that's doing well is going to become your your counter mm-hmm. um what makes them a superpower what's the superpowered sar ingredient ball sar ball, ball. the sar ball. ball and the other the other power superpower is what we were saying is the fact that like you're gonna take these huge early leads or you you should be taking huge early leads now this is something i might change my mind on eventually because there's an argument against ever taking an early lead because you become the king, and everyone wants to kneecap the king. And that's something I run into as a problem every single game, is I take too early of leads, and then I become everyone's primary target. And uh, maybe it is better to play slow, play the long game, and see what happens. And you can do that if you make your soup, your, your star ball a uh, superpower. I think at least the way the, the race is set up to play is it does make sense to just run wildly mm-hmm. at your objectives and get them done and get those VPs in the bag. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, maybe some sort of very conscious approach of keeping that second place slot until yeah. it's time to really play maybe. for everything. But I don't know. This is The thing is, it's weird because you won a game of SAR. The game I won, I went for every victory point at every time. I had two rounds of completely, like, Oh, he's dead. He's dead in the water. Mm -hmm. But I was still eking out victory points every round, just barely, to where, yeah, I still still won the game, even though on the last round of play, I was effect it was effectively either I was totally eliminated or I would win with like 
two ships. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was I had nothing left. But that's the kind of victories you're looking for, are these just like, and the Tsar player makes the final approach, and oh my god, they took it! And that's like, <laughs> you're going to get the most satisfying victories from Clan Asar games. Right. Every right. time. They are a very, very fun race to play. I do not know how I feel about playing them and i don't know if i want to yeah i love but it but it's oh god it it's it scares me yeah. the idea of playing them is really that sounds it sounds very very um frustrating and possibly that my brain might explode right. from it honestly well the big big question i guess we're kind of down to the well, my favorite part actually yeah. of every episode is let's come up with our tagline where are you looking for your victory what is the what is the tagline how do you win? How do you win, yeah. Matt? We want to win as So Sar. the place I'm looking for my victory is everywhere, constantly. <laughs> At every single moment, you are always only focused on the victory condition and the victory points. Um, so is it like win by victory points? It's, because that's... <laughs> it's win by taking objectives relentlessly. Yeah. Um, what did we say before? I bet it was stupid, whatever we said. We said win oh, yeah. by taking more than you lose. Okay, so the, the, I don't agree with that. Anymore. Okay, hang on. Yeah, yeah. So in our theoretical tier list, we said Sar wins by taking more than they lose, and that's because we put them in this kind of questionable strategy bracket. We weren't sure how things would work. They seemed easy to stop, but they had a good start. Well, the whole thing is that yeah, you have to take that good start and run with it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if I came up with a new tagline for Sar, it would be win by winning early win by taking every victory point no matter the cost other races there are lots of times where you're like well i could go for that victory point but i would have to sacrifice everything to do it and then i would have no position to get future victory points but clan asar doesn't have that problem Mm -hmm. you can attack victory points and just like not worry about the consequences i like i like that win by attacking victory points (laughs) Activate the victory point and attack it with your massive fleet. <laughs> throw your co- take it out of your tactic pool and throw it on the public objective number one and saying, "I am attacking that." I, I mean, I really think that is where we have to wrap it up with Sar. Is is on that note of just never stop pushing for victory points, no matter what it is, mm-hmm. even in the first round when we're talking about the round one. What are you doing? Well, really, you're trying to get any objectives that are available Mm -hmm. to you. The only reason you wouldn't do that is if there are no objectives available to Mm -hmm. you, in which case, be setting yourself up so that round two, you're definitely starting to get objectives. Got it. Don't stop believing. Okay, get it. Get it. We're going to move into the errata for our Isaral episode now. Yeah, yeah, we got it. We, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And here we are jumping into it, or I should say, here I am jumping into it. Uh, we're recording this errata separately, and Hunter has already left the area. Um, we're both heading home to our great state of Arkansas for the holidays, and um, it's going to make the upcoming schedule a little weird. We'll talk about that more later, but I'm going to be doing this errata and possibly one more errata alone. Uh, in the coming months, so let's jump into some Yasaro points. There's not too much to talk about, actually. One point that was brought up by Matt the Fat on the Twilight Imperium subreddit was to never underestimate the bargaining potential of the Yasaro. And this is an important point. Uh, if you do end up getting that Magion implants and are learning what's in everybody's hands, uh, you can use that as a bargaining chip. That's something DJV211 
uh, wanted to kind of reiterate, but then even more so, just the idea that you have these scary action cards at your disposal, and a lot of times you're just going to want to target anybody, and you might be able to get pay, you might be able to get money from someone who doesn't want a particular card played on them, and you should milk it. So don't always, um, you know, you should keep your keep your cards close to your chest, but every once in a while, if it's if you're between two different options you might reveal it before you play the card and say i'm one of you's getting hit by this what do you what do you want um so there's you know it's the same thing as uh, they said a, a good yasarl is like a good hakan everyone has to agree to not play their game in order to stop them but eventually someone gets weak and is willing to sell their soul to the devil and that's when you clean up so yeah you use your hidden information wisely as the yasarl Another point that was brought up on the Reddit Twilight Imperium was by Smurfalips, uh, and this is one of Hunter's favorite points, and it is that they talked about the flagships, um, and we brought up some of the good points of the flagship, but their experience was that uh, the flagship was a terror on the board. Uh, the player that was Ysaril got it out on the board early, and with Gravity Drive would fly three spaces away carrying three ground forces, and would just whip through people's defenses and land them on planets that were not very well defended. In general, the idea that you can kind of like jump around people's defenses with this to get quick temporary production value is good. I mean, if you can jump over to someone's planet that they're not going to be able to take until next round, you can steal that planet for this round, and then leave before they're able to take it from you think of that flagship as just like a bag of dirty dirty tricks and and all you're doing with it is looking for weaknesses to take advantage of um that that flagship should not exist with a fleet and everyone should be annoyed by its presence but because it's going to have like a lot of movement at its disposal they're never never going to be able to predict where it's going to go next so this is something uh, we haven't seen any players actually take advantage of yet but i'm really excited to see what kind of crazy tricks you can pull off with this flagship uh, we, we th we're thinking more and more that it is very good. Uh, we also, last week, we put out the request for maybe some super specific uh, strategies to give us, and Unaligned Magi from Board Game Geek, uh, our guild on Board Game Geek, gave us one, but actually I want to uh, go against them a little bit. Um, they basically detailed the strategy that I do not think is a strategy that actually requ requires that specific of detail. The gist of what Unaligned Magi was talking about, though, is set up big fleets, establish strong footholds, keep getting lots and lots of action cards, but do not take an early lead. Never let yourself seem like the person who's going to take a lead, but instead be constantly drawing secret objectives uh, so that you can get a bunch of action phase secret objectives so that your goal could very, very easily be round five or six or whatever. At some point, you have a round where you just do a crazy swing. You, you spend the entire round skipping until everyone else has gone and then you just hit everyone where it counts and win without them ever having had anything to do about it you know you you get in there you take imperial you score three action phase things you score an objective during the during the round and then during the status phase you score another i mean that's that's a lot of points all in one fell swoop um so there's those two kind of competing strategies, really, is like, do you take your action cards and just constantly get a lot of points all game, or do you kind of like hold everything close to you and establish a very strong foothold to then make a big, crazy power play late game? And, I mean, there's almost nothing more fun than a successful power play, but if your strategy relies on one power play, be prepared for, you know, you to have to delay that plan numerous times, because all kinds of things tend to get in the way. 
Another small point that was brought up on our Facebook page by Paul Couch said um, that they like to buy action cards off the Hakan, sight unseen. You have a lot of use for bad action cards. And I think that this is a fair point. Um, basically, the idea is just that, like, because you can at the very least use action cards to stall, the Hakan player might be willing to just take a single trade good um, f to give you some crap action card that they don't want. Um you know, this is going to rely on you having that kind of money to give them, um, but it is an added incentive, and it's something we didn't bring up. So you, you can have kind of an interesting relationship with a Hakan player, um, you know, see, see how that goes. And the last point that was brought up on our Board Game Geek Guild uh, is talking about actually just the power of some of these action cards, and the, the idea that there's, there's a decent amount of luck involved in these action cards, because some of them are much more powerful than others, uh, and that's First off, that's one of the huge benefits of the Yasaro, is the fact that you're combing through this deck. I would say there are, out of the like 80 action cards, there are 10 that are absolutely disastrous for some uh, players, for some races, for some positions. There are just all these different things you're going to be able to do with some of these very scary action cards that you should be looking to take advantage of. But more importantly, and this is to diverge from the Yasaro a little bit, these really devastating action cards are actually starting to change the way I'm thinking about Twilight Imperium. Uh, we played a game just this weekend where I played as the Ghost of Creus, and I was ready to have a very fun, good game as the Ghost of Creus, and for the most part I did, but I ran into a problem once again where a political scenario came out that absolutely devastated anyone who had board presence on wormholes, which, well, that's my whole MO, so I got crushed very, very hard. Now this I'm, I'm bringing this off the back of an action card point, but it all links together in action cards and these agenda cards. There are a lot of cards that specifically target specific mechanics, the two most common being Wormholes and Mechatol Rex. And if we're just talking general strategy and comparing races, in my mind, Ghosts of Creus and Winu are getting taken down a little, a little bit of a peg because there's just too many action and political cards that can really ruin their day, ruin their game. Um, the, I've had two games absolutely crushed because one thing happened. And that's part of Twilight Imperium is dodging those huge things, but those one things were not really even something I could avoid because it was crucial to my strategy to take advantage of Mechatorex with the Renu, or take advantage of Wormholes with the Ghost of Creus. So when the cards came out that affected those things, you know, when they hit the table, what are you supposed to do as those races? You just, you get crushed. So stand by for more information on that, but I, I'm, I'm starting to move into the opinion that the best strategy may end up being the sort of establish a strong foothold, score slowly in the beginning and middle game, and be prepared to make incredibly late game swings in the end game. And this might be the case for every race. I mean, we just got done with this SAR episode basically saying the opposite point. And I think that those points still stand because with this new mentality, Clan of SAR might be the only exception to that rule because they don't need to have a strong foothold in their original pie slice, the fact that you can leave and take risks means maybe they're the only race that can play by this strategy. And they were like the second race I played. So to me, uh, I built that opinion off of some early games. And the more games I play it, the only time it ever worked for me was with the Clan Asar. So 
it's something we're going to keep looking at, but uh, I, I think it basically drives home the point that Clannisar should relentlessly attack victory points and that other uh, factions maybe need to slow roll a little bit to then make big late game swings. So that's the end. That's the end of this episode of Space Cats Peace Turtles. If you don't mind, we'd love it if you followed us on Facebook, Space Cats Peace Turtles. You gave us a follow on Twitter, at Space Cats Pod. We also post every week on the Twilight Imperium subreddit. You can look for our posts there. Also, we have a Board Game Geek Guild where we make a post every week, and we have lots of other fun discussions going on there. We also post our schedule um, pretty far in advance at this point. We've been working really hard on getting a better picture of what kind of the next two months are going to look like as far as uh, episodes go. So if you want to get kind of a jump on those conversations, join our Board Game Geek Guild, come check out the calendar, and see what you can add to the discussion so it can get added to the episode uh, before the errata hits. And the final note is just to talk about, again, we are kind of working on maybe this other podcast projects, and uh, we would love submissions of bad board games or not very well thought out board games or just a goofy idea that doesn't actually work as a board game, but is a fun idea nonetheless. We got a lot of great submissions this past week, but we want more. We want um, more diverse people giving us uh, some suggestions. We, we really got a bunch from a couple people, and we, lo- we would love to get a lot more. So keep tweeting at us. Um, if anything, it might help to assign some sort of hashtag to this so that it can be better organized. If you send us... An idea for a board game, give me the hashtag MRBR, those four letters. I don't want to say anything more. I don't want to reveal what our intents for all of this uh, are going to be, but just hashtag MRBR with your crazy ideas for board games. And a little programming note, next week's episode is going to be our holiday special. We're going home. We're playing a game with our old crew that used to play Twilight Imperium all the time, so we're hoping for it to be a really good set of games. We're potentially playing four games back-to-back-to-back-to-back. We are recording one of them. We'll see if that footage ever sees the light of day. We're hoping it's going to be really good and something we can can make some cool content out of. More than anything, it's going to take a lot of time out of our day just to play those games, and then we want to record a really rough poorly uh, organized episode about the games we play and we're going to bring in the people that we play with to help us talk about it so expect a very informal um, potentially long potentially short um, episode to come out not on time next week Uh, at best i'll have it out a day late but it could take longer just depends on uh, how everything goes back at home Um, there's a lot of other things to do over the holidays so i want to get you that fun episode as fast as possible but there's there's a lot of variables and with that we will see you next week everyone have a great holidays and we can't wait to share with you some more of our games thanks so much Thank you for listening to Space Cat's Peace Turtles. And thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica Bellum Gloriosum.